Good morning. Good to be with you this Sabbath. Vicki, thank you for the welcome. Um, she mentioned I have three kids. Um, they went to school with uh, Rusty at Orangewood. So we have a tie there. Janine is my oldest. She teaches school uh, in Beltsville, Maryland. I looked just now, and she's at the summer camp at, uh, for the Maryland or Chehesapeake Conference uh, in Mount Airy right now. Um, my son, Chris, lived in Orange County for many years. He's uh, in finances. He's now associate treasurer for the Nevada-Utah Conference. And my baby boy, Nate, is now pastor at the Napa Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, many times when we preach, we preach at the same time together on the same sermon. He's not preaching this week because his oldest boy had his tonsils out. And my wife is there with the family making sure that things go okay. That's a little bit about where my family is, but it is good to be here and worship with you. Uh, David, as I mentioned last Sabbath, was one of our uh, kids at Anaheim. We watched him through juniors, on through Pathfinders, uh, on into college, uh, high school and college. He debated about being on the football team, and we worked that out. And uh, uh, then when he went on to Andrews, uh, he was not hired by us, but we, I watched after him, made sure things went well. And uh, when he graduated, we got him a position in El Central. And now he came, he came here, and now he's moved on to a very strange place. So I'm underscoring that, thinking that he might be listening to this sometime uh, today, may, making sure that he uh, knows that uh, his choice should have stayed here, but this is an option, and I think it would be a growing good option for him. You have with you a sheet of paper that has the text. Uh, invite you to take a look at this. I will give this to you every week. Um, I encourage you uh, to at least read it. Some of you don't like marking your Bible, but here's something you can mark. Just a little background of what I do. I will study this text quite hard. And when I come on Sabbath, I'm going to share what I've learned from that text. I'm going to tell you what new I have found what I've discovered about Jesus and about God and how God relates to people. It's my approach. Scripture is the most important thing we have in our life. It's the most important thing we have in worship to turn to Scripture and discover something about God because Scripture is the closest thing we have to God communicating with us. Now, just a warning, next week we're going to look at a pretty tough passage, and you may want to mark this down and read it through the week. It is Luke chapter 16, the first 13 verses. Another parable, a very strange parable. Some have wondered why it is even in Scripture. But we will take a look at that and see what it has to tell us about how God relates to people. But our story today is out of Luke 15. 
number of chapters before, there was a transfiguration. Jesus was on the mountain with his disciples, two of his disciples, or as actually Peter, James, and John, three. Following the transfiguration, there was a healing, and then Jesus made an announcement to the disciples. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. There I'm going to die, and after three days I'll be resurrected. They didn't understand a thing that he was saying. They continue with what he was doing. But what is important here is to note and underscore the fact, and this is in chapter 9, verse 51 of Luke. Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. When chapter 15 comes around, Jesus is still on the road to Jerusalem. Several more chapters will happen. Several more interactions with people will take place before Jesus gets there. But Jesus tells stories. He relates to people. There are healings. But most of all, there are confront confrontations. Why did you heal on the Sabbath? Jesus would be asked. Why did you do this? Why did you say that? Jesus was in a mode of confrontation on that trip through the Galilees heading back to Jerusalem. Chapter 15 opens with a problem. It opens simply saying that Jesus is welcoming and eating with publicans or tax collectors, and sinners. This gets the attention of the Pharisees and the scribes because they think for some reason Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, is corrupted by the association with the wrong kind of people. And these are clearly the wrong kind of people. Sinners? Now, that was a catch-all for anyone they didn't like. For anyone that wasn't like them, didn't practice the way they normally practiced religion. But tax collectors, these were a strange brood. I don't know about you. Have you ever had lunch with an IRS agent? I'm not going to go out and look for the opportunity. I knew years ago in a church, I met an IRS agent who was a Seventh-day Adventist in a church in uh, Washington State. Never had lunch with him. We had a good conversation. But the tax collectors in Jesus' day were people that collected taxes. You know, bottom line, of course, you know, they're collecting too much, and that's wrong. But tax collectors there were not collecting taxes taxes for Galilee or Judah or for the temple or for the Jewish community, they were collecting taxes for Rome. And Rome was a government that was wrong. It was a government that they were opposed to. The government that had taken over the country. The government that had power over them. And the tax collectors had sold out to the Romans. So Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. 
And because of this, Jesus stands the chance of being corrupted by the association. And so they complained. The word they say, that says here is that they murmured. Good word, isn't it? You don't find it anywhere else in the New Testament except one other place. And it is also in Luke's Gospel. It's about a story of a little man that climbed a tree to see Jesus. Do you know that story? That's coming on the trip back to Jerusalem. He hasn't reached Jericho yet. And he said to the man in the key, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. How would we handle that in our context? Suppose I said to you, and I'm coming to your house today for dinner. You say, what? Oh, no. Do I have any mac and cheese on the shelf? Um, we take it as kind of uh, a bit pushy on a person doing that. But in that particular time, that was an honor. Jesus saying to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. It says of that story, of that ex incident, that they murmured over what Jesus was doing. The only other place that we can recall where this happens is an Old Testament place. Back in the Old Testament in the Septuagint, when, uh, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew, they use that word of the children of Israel who are out in the wilderness and they murmur against God. I've been in many churches and in my work recently, I've gone to a lot of churches and I've sat with churches and boards and people where they are murmuring among each other about issues that are happening in the congregation. What are we going to do about this particular experience, or this particular episode, or what is happening with this particular member. After all these years, we haven't learned not to murmur. But they murmured against Jesus because Jesus was eating and welcoming and uh, these scribes, these welcoming the sinners and the uh, uh, Pharisees and the, the God, Jesus was welcoming the sinners and the tax collectors. I'll get it right. The tax collectors and the sinners were listening to Jesus. Kind of an interesting word. They were hearing what Jesus was having to say. And when Luke uses this word, not only in Luke but in Acts, he is seeing in this word that these people are repenting and turning towards Christ. It's an indication of repentance. It's an indication of following what Jesus is saying, a key word that is used. But he's accused now of eating with them. And eating also offered a different type of classification. You just didn't eat with anyone. You ate with those that you wanted to have their company. You wanted to have community with them. So they're saying Jesus was not only welcoming, he was making them a part of the community. And these were the wrong people to have in the community. So they confronted Jesus about this, and Jesus did an interesting thing. 
he tells them stories. Very simple. He does not go to the Old Testament and say, well, Isaiah says this, and Micah says this, and if you look in Exodus, you'll find here's how we are to behave, and did not develop a series of arguments. He told those Pharisees stories. There's an illustration I can use with this of Peter. Peter had gone not happily to Jop, from Joppa to Caesarea where Cornelius, a captain of over a hundred men in the Roman army, was waiting for him. He was to come and teach. But Peter was hesitant, did not want to do that, but he did. And surprise, all the household were converted to Christianity. This was wrong at least in the eyes of leadership. This does not happen. This is not allowed. Non-Jewish people could not become Christians without becoming Jews first. And it went through quite a process. Eventually, Peter made it back to Jerusalem. And when he got to Jerusalem, the leadership called him to account on this. Peter had not been in compliance with what the church demanded. And so instead of coming and arguing theology, since if you had read Isaiah, you would have seen that this would have taken place. If you had looked in your heritage, the purpose of the church was to go to all the world. But they said, no, you're out of compliance. So Peter told them a story. The story of what happened in Joppa that got him to Caesarea, what happened with Cornelius and the entire household. He gave a story. He did not argue theology. Argument does not work. But stories do. And so Jesus tells four stories. Story about a sheep that is lost, a coin that is missing, a young man that leaves home, and a brother of that young man that left home who is lost too. It's about lost and found. And so Jesus captures the crowd, the Pharisees and scribes in this by asking which one of you they're pulled into the story. Which one of you, if you had a lamb, a sheep that was lost, wouldn't go seek it out? Which one of you, if you lost a coin, wouldn't seek it out? And they are captured within the details of the story. Rather interesting. There's a shepherd that has a hundred sheep. One is missing. Leaves a sheep in the hillside. Goes off looking for the one. Finds it. Brings it home on his shoulders. Finds friends. Invites them in. 
They have a party. Jesus says God is like that. God has parties. Then there's a woman. A woman who loses one of ten coins. It's a silver coin, equivalent of a day's wage. She searches through her house, dimly lit. A lamp is lit. She sweeps. Takes a long time. She finds it, calls her neighbors in, rejoices over the coin, and she has a party. A party was probably worth more than the coin itself. But has a party. And Jesus says, God is like this. God is like the shepherd. God is identified as a woman who seeks what is lost. He says, this is God. This is how God responds to what's lost. And you can see the value that is placed in that which is lost. You can see the intensity that they go out and they search, not just haphazardly, but until the item is found. And that item is put back in its rightful place. This is a picture of God and what God does. And each of the stories has a caveat. There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And so, in this story, Jesus is telling us what God is like. That God is the one that searches. Now, there's some issues and problems with the story. And by the way, I gave you this. If you see, I've put the two stories in parallel with each other in the text. And you can see how it follows the same basic outline. And how you see this is taken in one place, it's carried to the next place. It follows the same format. Now Jesus doesn't stop there. Our text does. But there's the boy that leaves home with the father's riches what was due him when the father died, he demanded it before he died. You know that story well. And when the son returns home, here's another party. God is about parties. Sabbath is a celebration. Sabbath is a party. For God's people with God in the community of each other to come together and to celebrate the goodness of what God is. But here is a portrayal of God very different than the God we know. Over the years, you've been taught about a God who is a judge. And he's going to be harsh regarding the things that you do inappropriately. There's a God that keeps record of everything you do wrong. But the God that Jesus portrays is so very, very different. For God goes out and searches. Now, the story mentions repentance, 
But it really isn't about repentance. Because a sheep never repents. And of course the coin could never repent if it wanted to. It is about God finding and God searching for the lost. The lamb does nothing to be found. The coin does nothing to be found. It is a God that comes searching. We are not part of our own search. God comes to us with the gift of repentance. It's a gift that is given to us. We turn. We receive it. We are the object, you and I, that is to be found. And God is there searching to find us. This is the work of God. This is what God is about. And when we are found, there is a party. And the angels dare not miss the party. You see it in the text. That they come together and celebrate what was lost is in its rightful place. Now, when I was looking at this, I struggled with one thing. The four stories stand alone very well. We can tell the story of the lost lamb, preach a sermon on it, hangs together by itself. The same with the story of the coin, the same with the story of the prodigal son, the same with the story of the older brother. But this passage opens, the passage opens with this confrontation Jesus has from scribes and Pharisees. And my question and my struggle when I looked at this was how do these stories answer that issue that Jesus is speaking to with the scribes and Pharisees? You see what I'm asking? There's a problem. Jesus is addressing the problem. He's addressing the problem with four stories. How do these stories address that problem? Now the issue was the scribes and Pharisees thought better of themselves. They thought that they had no need of Jesus. They had no need of redemption. They had arrived. They were there. I found one hint in another problem which is often brought up is that the shepherd left 99 sheep out in the wilderness and went looking for one. Now, I don't think I would do that. I don't know what I would do in that case. That would be a real struggle. You look at the value of one compared to 99 if you're a financial person. You know, the balance sheet doesn't compensate. And after all, one of the use one of the lambs will have a another a, one of the sheep will have a lamb and we'll get back up to the hundred. So no big deal. 
99 out on the hillside going after one. But look at your text again. You can see it. You may want to circle this. This is verse 7. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Here's the key. Then over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I'm the lost lamb. Okay? I recognize that. The sinners and the tax collector, they're the lost lamb, right? Who are the Pharisees? The 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. They are good. They've arrived. They have the blessing of God. They are perfect. They no longer need the shepherd. So the shepherd goes to where he is needed. And so in this context, you discover the shepherd out seeking the lost, not seeking those that don't know they are lost. Now, when you come on down further, and I've mentioned there are four stories. Ever watch Sesame Street? It's been a while since I've watched it. I'm not sure if they have the same things on Sesame Street that they did when I was watching it with my kids. But they would put on the screen four objects and they would sing a little ditty about one of these things is not alike. You know that? And you'd see in the picture there might be a car, a bus, a truck, and a frog. You know, which one doesn't belong? It's a frog, right? Well, let's do that with these four stories. The lost lamb, the lost coin, the prodigal, and the elder son. Which one of the four does not belong? What did the shepherd do? Went out to seek. What did the women do? Searched the house. What did the father of the prodigal do? He waited at home. What did the father of the elder son do? He went out searching for him. Did you see that in there? The prodigal story is there to give the story of the father searching for the elder son who complained about his brother and all the sinful things he had done and complained that the father had never given him a party instead of coming to join in the party of the son, his brother, who had repented. It is for this reason Jesus tells the story. The joy in heaven, 
but the seeking of what is lost. And the father goes out to the elder son and finds him and has conversation with him. We don't know what the boy did. We assume that he just stayed out there in the field, mumbling and griping that the father didn't treat him right and didn't understand or quotify his brother as total sinner and should not have welcomed him in and should have made him work for his position back in the home, start as a slave and work on as a servant and, and get placement. But no. It's that elder son that was lost. And so in the story, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. In all the churches I've gone to, especially in the churches that have had conflict, there's always two groups. Those that wear the white hats and those that wear the black hats. The good guys and the bad guys. The righteous and the wicked. When I was at Andrews, I went to uh, Chicago. We had to go to churches and work in churches. I went to Chicago because in a month's time, you only went two Sabbaths a month instead of three Sabbaths a month, if you were any closer. So I had a method in my madness. It was a good church, a good group of people. We enjoyed it. We went there for two years. But this church were the good guys. They were the righteous one. And they were in a district with another church, which is about two miles away. Churches the size of about 150 people each. Same group, same place, but the good guys looked at the other church and said, those are the harlots. Those are the ones that have the problems. And because we are good and they're not quite as good, we really can't associate with them. Don't we do that? We have those that are marginalized, that are on the outside of the church, that don't have a place within the kingdom that is here. They maybe not wear the right kind of clothes or sing the right kind of songs or have the right kind of practices in their lives. And we judge them and we say they cannot be part of our community. They cannot be welcomed. And if we associated with them, we might be marked by who they are. And it would corrupt the way we may be perceive ourselves and the way we perceive God. But please, folks, these are people that are lost, that have come, and that are listening to what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus tells stories. Stories that come home to those that are murmuring against the other people. Stories that have meaning and says, here is who you are. Stories about who God is, that God seeks that which is lost. 
that there is value in what God seeks. And he will continue seeking until what is lost is confronted in the presence of God. And will return and be found. God seeks. God always seeks. He is looking for me, for you. Will we be found?